Um, so we're going to continue talking about the church, which was the first church. I want to read to you where we've been for the last three weeks, and it's going to be continued right up to Easter. And so Acts 2, 42 through 47 describes this first church, and this is what it says. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. <clears throat> they sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This first church was powerful. And we've talked about they were powerful because they were committed. And they were committed to several things. Two weeks ago we talked about they were committed to grow in their faith, to grow spiritually. Last week, they were committed to their friendships, their relationships, the, the unity in the church. And today, they were committed to prayer. And then we're going to continue with they were committed to being generous, to worshiping together, to being full of the joy and hope of Jesus. And, and so today, as we look at this, this idea of being committed to prayer, I, I think of when I was little, one story just stands out in my mind that reminds me prayer, even though it wasn't necessarily prayer. But I had a, a cousin, his name was Caleb, and we were the same age. And uh, we lived probably about 30 miles apart from each other. And every once in a while, I would stay at his house with, with his family. And I loved Caleb. I loved their family. Um, and they lived in this really cool house and at the time, I don't know if I really thought of it as being cool, but it was really old. It was built like in the 1800s, had all these little trap doors and secret things, and it was also a little bit spooky. The basement, when you went down, was all dirt floor. It always scared me. But anyway, this was a really cool house, and, and, uh, and I loved it, and I loved hanging out with Caleb, but there's something about sleeping in that house. When everyone else would go to bed, I would lay awake, and I'm telling you, that house creaked and groaned, and I was terrified, and I was convinced that there was something other than us in that house. I thought for sure it was haunted. I never even thought about it during the day. It was when I went to bed, and uh, so my mom came one day, and she said, I got good news for you. I've set up a, a, a sleepover with Caleb in a couple weeks, and I was like, all right, that's exciting, and then I remembered, oh, no. If I stay the night, I have to sleep in that house. And, and I started to think about it. And when I went to bed, and, and I remember just all of a sudden being overwhelmed by the fear of staying there. And I felt terrible because I know my mom was excited about it. I know Caleb was excited about it. And I was, and I was, I was kind of excited, but I just didn't want to stay the night. And so for a few days, every night when I'd go to bed, I would think about, oh, no. I've got to go there. And it became this overwhelming fear in me. And I literally, I didn't know what to do about it. I was so anxious. And one night, my mom came to tell me good night, and I just burst out crying. Mom, please don't make me stay the night with Caleb. And she was confused at first. I thought, you like Caleb. I was like, I do. I just don't like the house. And so I began to tell her my fear of staying in that house. And I remember her, her response was so kind and just said, all you have to do is tell me. 
You don't have to stay the night. And going, oh, the relief that came over me. Uh, but I look at that and I think, how interesting, because that is, that's really prayer, right? We're anxious, we're worried about something, and then you take it to the one that can do something about it. My mom could do something about it. And, and really, when we talk about praying, that's really what we're doing. If you try to define prayer, it's kind of hard to define, I guess, but really, to me, it's talking to God. That's what prayer is. It's just talking with God. It's asking God for help, asking Him for understanding. We can pray for other people. We can pray for ourselves. And prayer can also be almost a meditation where it's you are just quiet and you're just letting God speak to you. And so when we look at Acts chapter 2, it says that the first church, they were committed to pray. They were committed to prayer. doesn't give us any more information than that. But we know that the first church was learning from the apostles, from the disciples, who learned from Jesus. And so if we want to know how they were praying, what they were praying about, then we need to look at the examples of Jesus. And so as we look at the examples of Jesus, we're going to say, well, how did he pray? When did he pray? Who did he pray for? And then what did Jesus say in instructing us to pray? So we're going to look at those things today. We're going to start off with just looking at Jesus' example of prayer. How did he display prayer in his own life? Well, there's actually there's five different things, in my opinion, that we can find, probably more. But first of all, Jesus prayed often. Uh, there's a time in Luke chapter 5 that, that the crowds had gathered around Jesus. He'd done some healings and he was teaching and the crowds started to gather around him. And then in Luke 5, 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew. And I like it, to lonely places. In other words, he was by himself. Got to get away from the crowd for a bit. And this is Jesus, right? He's got to get away. And he often prayed. Uh, number two, he prayed for other people. Uh, we can find in John 17 him praying for his disciples. He said, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And he's talking about these 12 men that God had instructed him to be close with. And he was praying for these 12 uh, specifically in this prayer, that I'm praying for these people, that you give them strength, that you help them. And so Jesus prayed often, and he prayed for other people. He also prayed in difficult times. It, in the garden, after they have the Last Supper, it, they go to the garden, and Jesus is praying in earnest because he knows that the cross is coming. And there's fear there. It's a difficult time. And this is what he says in uh, Luke 22. It says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, we probably don't have the same difficulties that Jesus had. But we do have difficulties, right? We have sicknesses. We have jobs that frustrate us. We have school. We have marriages that, that struggle. We have, we have children that need lots and lots of prayer. There's things that just keep us awake at night. And Jesus is saying, hey, in difficult times, pray. And then number four, he prayed for wisdom and understanding. 
the night before he chose his 12 disciples. This is what Luke 6 says. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. So you can see here, Jesus went to God. He prayed all night about who he should make these 12 disciples. That's a pretty big decision. And here he's praying for wisdom and he's praying for understanding. And in, and in that, we go into number five, he acted on his prayers. God showed him what to do and he did it. And in Mark chapter one, there's this, there's this time that Jesus is at Peter's mother-in-law's house and he's healing people. And he's teaching, and this huge crowd is gathered around, and sometime during the night, they all went home, and the next morning, they all came back. It says the whole town was gathered around Peter's house, but when they came back, Jesus was gone. <laughs> it says before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And so here he's in this place, it's the beginning of his ministry, something big's happening. A whole town is coming to hear what Jesus has to say. But here's what happens. It says he comes back. His disciples are all in an uproar. Where were you? The crowd's waiting for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And I look at the head and I go, I'm sorry, but if I was someplace teaching and the whole town came, I'd probably stay there. Like, something good's happening here. But, but Jesus often withdrew. He often went and he prayed and he took the wisdom. He took the guidance from those prayers and he acted in his life. He came back. Now, to us, the most you think, well, stay there. But that's not what he was supposed to do. And he acted on those prayers. And he went someplace else to teach and pray. And so if we take these things and we say, okay, apply these to the first church. Well, that church, they devoted themselves to prayer. And most likely, they followed the example of Jesus. They prayed often. They prayed for each other. They prayed in difficult times. They prayed for wisdom and understanding. Their prayer and our prayers, like their prayers, guided their actions. <clears throat> now, there's places that Jesus instructs us how to pray. And before we start that, I have to tell you a story. It's kind of crazy. But we just moved here. Well, I guess we'd been here a little while. And, but we, we didn't know a lot of people. We knew most of you, but not super well. And we had these friends coming from Arizona. And they were good friends, but they were coming. We weren't sure what time they were going to get here. It was supposed to be sometime late evening. But, of course, they hit traffic in San Diego, took them forever, and they didn't get to our house till midnight. And as they got there, and they, they got out, and we're greeting them, and they were saying, yeah, man, we got stuck in the traffic. We are so hungry. And I was like, Lisa, do we have something to eat? And she was like, I was going to go to the grocery store, but I forgot. I was like, great, we had nothing. And, you know, restaurants are closed. It's midnight. And so I thought, you know what? I'll bet you our neighbors have something. And I didn't know him super well. We'd met in the driveway or whatnot, but I went over to the neighbor's house, and I knocked, and they didn't come to the door. I'm like, okay. So I knocked a little bit louder, and they still didn't come to the door. I'm like, I, well, I, know, I think I know where their bedroom is, so I went, and I crawled up on the roof, and I got to the window, and I started banging on their window and saying, hey, hey, are you there? And 
pretty soon, I started to hear someone from inside, and they were saying horrible things to me, and <laughs> telling me to get off their roof and whatever, and so I climbed down, went back to the door, figured they're up now, right? So I'm knocking on the door, and finally, they come to the door, and he goes, what do you want? I said, well, we just need some food. We have some friends here. He was like, no, and he went back in and closed the door, and so I was like, okay, so I just kept knocking. And eventually, he comes out with a sack and just throws food at me. And we didn't have a great relationship after that. But he did give me the food. And you're probably thinking, did I really do that? No, obviously, I did not do that. But that is a story that Jesus told about prayer. And you can find it in Luke chapter 11, where basically, Jesus says, there's this guy that gets guests in the middle of the night. He doesn't have anything to eat. So he goes to his neighbor's house and starts knocking, and exactly the same thing happened. I'm not coming to the door, I'm in bed, and he kept knocking and knocking and knocking, and finally, in disgust, the neighbor throws some food out the door to him, and this is what Jesus says, and I tell you, even though he did not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need." What is Jesus teaching here? I mean, this, this is kind of crazy, right? Right now, most of you are saying, I'm glad I'm not Pastor Chris's neighbor. <laughs> but he's literally teaching us to pester God with our prayers. I mean, the, he goes on in verse 9 and says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. And he's not talking about, hey, go and just knock. He's talking about prayers, man. If you want something. If you have a difficulty, if, if there's someone that's sick, if you have a need, man, start praying and keep praying, keep knocking. He literally is teaching us to pray in a way that we just keep praying with boldness. Now, what I learned here is that when we pray, God hears us and he responds to us. And so you have to ask the question, why is it that so many don't pray? Even in the church, I think if we took a really honest poll how often we pray, I think we'd probably be surprised, even in the church. And there's lots of reasons, I think, why we don't pray. I would say there's some that just say, I don't believe God hears my prayers. I don't believe he's going to answer them. Or maybe we just don't take the time to pray because we're just too busy. Or we think, my problems are so small compared to the rest of the world, and, and God is so big, or maybe my problems just aren't important. Or maybe you just think, maybe he's not going to answer. Or maybe you've prayed before, and he hasn't answered. There's this crazy story in Daniel, and, and it kind of gives us insight into prayer, and that's why I, I love it. But in Daniel chapter 10, there's this place that Daniel started fasting and praying. And so he was praying for wisdom and understanding about an issue, and he started to pray. And it says 21 days went by, which is three weeks. 21 days goes by, and then he has this vision of an angel standing before him. And I want to read to you what the angel said. It says, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 
21 days. I love that picture because here Daniel is praying. And what did he say? I heard you immediately. I got the instructions from God right then, and I started on my way to answer your prayers, but we have an enemy. And for 21 days, he was held back. And so we keep praying. We keep fasting. We keep praying. That's what Daniel did. And we can see here that, man, God is working. We just are supposed to keep praying. In this first church, they were committed to prayer. And they were committed to keep praying. And then we go, but how should we pray? Well, luckily for us, Jesus literally gives us the perfect example. And Eliana read it to us earlier. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But Matthew 6, 9 starts like this. This then is how you should pray. Usually if Jesus says that, then that's probably how we should pray, right? Or at least we should stop and listen. But he gives us some other things before he gives us the prayer. Just some, some things of how not to pray or, or how to get ourselves ready for prayer. In Matthew 6, 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. It, you see, when we pray, we're not praying to other people. We're praying to God. That's why we don't go on a street corner and just start shouting our prayers up loud. Because God doesn't honor unauthentic prayers. What's interesting is I remember the very first time a pastor in my church asked me to pray. And I was probably 19, 20 years old. And he said, hey, would you come up during the service and pray? And at first I was like, yes. And then I was like, oh no. And I was terrified to get up and pray. And I remember telling the pastor, saying, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know even how to pray or what to pray. I, I'm going to say something stupid. And he said, hey, you're not praying for my benefit. You're not praying to the people. You are praying to God. And that changed the whole thing because all of a sudden it was like, they can't judge me because <laughs> I'm praying to him. And, and that changes how we pray, right? We're not trying to impress anybody. We're just going to God in prayer. And so, what else should we do? Well, he goes on in verses 6 through 8, and he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So I read this and I think, well, I need to be alone. We need to be undistracted where it's just us and God. And when I think of me, I'm distracted all the time. I've got my phone. I've got people all in my house. I've got people here at the church. I'm always distracted. And then there's my mind. Have you ever noticed how distracting your mind is? It never stops. When you're trying to pray, you're thinking about the bill you forgot to, to pay, right? Or you're thinking about something you have to do to your car, or get your car smogged, or whatever you have to do out here in California, but your mind's going. And I think, what can we do to practice being in a place where we're not distracted? Obviously, we can turn off our phones. We can turn off the TV. We can go to a place that's quiet and how can we learn just to 
turn our minds to focus on God. And I think as we go through the Lord's Prayer, it gives us these, these, this help to have an organized prayer so that we can be specific and not be distracted as we pray. And, and it talks in here about babbling many words and how we don't need to do that. And, and I always think this is funny. I just think it's kind of a funny thing because so often, and I've done this many a times, believe me, when I start to pray and I'll say, oh God, I'm praying for Aunt Sally. She's the one married to Uncle Bob, and, and you know, Bob, he's got, the, he's got the broken leg, and Sally, she's got blonde hair about shoulder length, and she's got three kids, and, and she doesn't really like her job. You know, she's been working at that place for 20 years. Her boss isn't very good, and I'm going on and on about Sally, and God's going, shut up already. I know Sally, okay? I know who Sally is. Just pray for her. God knows the situation. He literally says he knows before you ask him. You see, we don't need to be just giving him information. It's more of we are inviting him in to our lives. It's an invitation. It's not information. We're inviting God to do work in our lives so we can watch him work in our lives. And now, I like this idea even better. I believe prayer is God allowing us to be part of what he's doing in this world. I mean, what an, what an amazing thought that we get to pray. We're, we're commanded to pray so that we can be part of what God is doing. And now, we can look at Matthew 6, 9 through 15, the actual prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And it starts off with, and I already mentioned it, this then is how you should pray. And obviously, when you hear that, then we should take note that we should probably pray this way. And then it continues, and it gives us five thoughts or five categories about how we should pray. And it's very simple, but it's organized. And I think if we want to pray in an in a undistracted way, what a great way to pray, to have these categories listed out so we can be praying in this way. And so as we go through this, the first category, the first thought is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Basically, we're just praising him. We start our prayer off, we are just praising him, giving him the honor that is due. Praise him for his power. Praise him for the ocean and the beautiful sunsets we get to watch. Praise him for how he created us. I was reading this week, a guy was talking about the information in our brains. He was talking about one cell. Now, I'm not a brain scientist or anything else, but this was mind-numbing. In one cell, a cell is one one-hundredth of an inch. I cannot spread my fingers apart little enough to get one one-hundredth of an inch, okay? So it's, it's tiny. And in that cell is our DNA. And on that DNA is enough information, and get this, on the DNA inside that little tiny cell is enough information to fill up one 1,000 books, and each of those books would have at least 600 pages, 1,600-page books of information in a cell this big. You go, wow, God, I, you, I'm made that way, and I'm still this dumb? <laughs> I mean, that's the way I think, but wow, God, that is amazing how you made me how you made others, how you made the animals, how you made this, this earth. And that is praising him, right? And we can praise him 
for who he is and give him the honor that is due. And then, then we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I prayed that over and over as a kid because we used to pray the Lord's Prayer all the time, and I had no idea what that meant. It was just something we said in a prayer. Uh, but as you look at it closer, basically, it, it's saying God's work is happening, period. Whether you pray or don't pray, whether you're involved or not involved, God's work is happening. And what you are praying here is, God, can I be part of your kingdom? Can I be part of what you are doing here on earth? And we're praying for wisdom and discernment so we can understand what his will is. And, and also in that, as we pray for that, God, how can I fit into your kingdom? How can I use my skills? How can I use my abilities in your kingdom? So you're literally praying, God, let me be part of what you are doing here on earth. And then it gets simple. Give us today our daily bread. Now, 2,000 years later, most of us have bread. I didn't the night that I needed to go to my neighbor's house, but typically we have bread. And we're not that worried about getting bread. But we have things we need, don't we? We have things we need. Our, our kids have things they need. And it, maybe it's not just food or drink or whatever, but there are so many things that take our focus that, that we need day to day. And this is the opportunity we can be praying for those. God, I need your help. I need you in this area, whatever that may be. And then forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This is our time to be honest with God. When we're there alone with him, we can, we can spell out, Lord, I have messed up. I need you to forgive me. And you can say, God, I need, I need your help. I struggle with this or I, I struggle with that. And we're asking for forgiveness. But along with that, we're saying, God, help me to love and forgive those that I'm struggling with. There's people that maybe you, you've had issues with, and this is a time that you go, God, I'm, okay, I'm going to let that go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive them. Sometimes we need to even physically go to them and say, hey, I messed up, and I, I, need, you, I need to tell you I'm sorry, and whatever that is. But, but this is the time that we ask God for forgiveness, and we forgive others. And then, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Talked about Daniel. We have an enemy, and he leads us into temptation. There's temptation in the world that we live in, and we need to be praying here, God, you know my weaknesses. Help me to stay away from those. Help protect me from those areas. I need help against the enemy. And so, as we think about making our prayers simple and organized. We can literally lay this out. If you use a prayer journal, you can write these things beside. You can write out your prayers, which is a really good way to stay organized. But we start with praise Him and allow us to know your will. Meet my needs today. Forgive me. Help me. Help me to love other people and forgive them. And then guide me. Keep me safe. Protect me. Keep me away from those temptations. And then we look at verses 14 and 15. I really look at that and I think really that's, that's where we should be as we go into prayer. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive you. And really what, what that is saying is, man, if you are not in the right place when you're coming to prayer, 
man, you need to take some time to get right. You need to come in prayer with a pure heart, with a humble heart, ready and prepared. And, And I believe the first church was so powerful because of the way they prayed. They were powerful because they were growing in faith. They were unified, and they were committed to prayer. And so I want us, as Lost Flores Church, to be committed to prayer. And this is what I'm going to ask us to do. Three things. First of all, pray often and keep praying. And I would say at least two times a day, at least when you wake up and when you go to bed, pray. And do what it says. Go someplace. Get alone. Don't let distractions in and pray often and keep praying. Number two, pray simple and honest prayers that are focused on God. And number three, let our prayers guide our actions. Remember, God is allowing us to be part of what he is doing when we pray. The early church was so powerful. As you read through the book of Acts, you can see all kinds of amazing things that happened to this early church And there's a place in Acts chapter 12 that one of the disciples was murdered. James had just been murdered by King Herod. It put him to a kind of a trial, and then boom, they murder him. And what happened was the Jewish people, not the church, the Jewish people, they loved it. They're like, good job, Herod. Yeah, get rid of this church. And and so Herod then arrests Peter. And puts Peter in prison to do the same thing that happened to James. And so Peter is in prison. He's in chains. And there's, there's guards. There's actually four sets of guards on Peter. He's in the center of the prison. And Herod's holding him there till the next day. Have a trial and then basically put Peter to death. But in Acts 12, 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And so as the church, they're in Mary's house, and they're gathered, the believers, and they are praying for Peter that's been arrested. And as they are praying, Peter in prison, all of a sudden an angel appears right before him, and his chains just fall off. And the angel says, get up and follow me, and you've got soldiers all around. And they just get up, they walk out of the prison cell, they walk down the hallway, they walk out, they walk right out of the city gates, And no one even bats an eye. And by the time they're out on the streets, Peter realizes the angel's gone. And he's thinking, what just happened? And he begins to think, I need to get to the other believers. I need to let them know that I'm I'm free. And so he runs to Mary's house where the believers are gathered and they're praying. And Peter starts knocking on the door. And there's a lady inside named Rhoda. She's a servant. And she comes running to the door and she hears Peter's voice. Is that you, Peter? Yes, it's me. And she's so in awe that she leaves Peter outside knocking on the door and she runs back to tell everybody else. I I don't know why I think that's funny, but it is kind of funny. So she goes back and she gets everyone else. goes, Peter's at the door. Did you let him in? Well, no, I didn't think about letting him in. Well, let's go get him. So they run back. They bring Peter in in this celebration. and, And just think of what was happening right there. They were earnestly praying. God was working. A miracle happens, and then the next day, the city was in an uproar. They couldn't find Peter. What happened to him? Herod was, didn't know what to do. And the whole city was talking about this church. There's something about this church. When they pray, things happen. This first church was powerful because of the way they prayed. And we 
are a church that's committed to prayer. And if we really commit to prayer, what will God do here? I want to close today literally just by reading the Lord's Prayer. And so if you'd stand up with me, it's going to be up on the screen. And we're just going to read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, go with us. Remind us of your greatness. Remind us of your power and unify us in your blood. Unify us in your love. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.